The appointed gospel reading for today will also serve as the basis of our sermon text. It comes from Luke chapter 9. When the days were approaching for him to be taken up, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. They went and entered a Samaritan village to make preparations for him. But the people did not welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Don't you know what kind of spirit is influencing you? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. Then they went to another village. So far. Dear friends in Christ, I think you would agree that determination is something we like to see in a lot of people. A lot of you parents out there are happy when you see a determined son that wants to get good grades. Your daughter who's just determined she's going to become a cheerleader in high school. And the list is endless where we are happy to see determination. One of our national news services, ABC, oftentimes ends its 5.30 news with a feel-good story. And sometimes they have to do with someone being determined to do something despite their problems and issues. For example, just recently they had one about the community of Vivaldi, Texas, trying to continue having a boys' little league season, knowing that many of the boys were buried. But determination can also be a negative things, thing. You've known people that are dead set, hell-bent, if you were, and doing and being determined to destroy, to tear down, to criticize. In other words, determination in and of itself is not something good or bad, but it's what it's directed to or for. Today's text on the surface seems to be nothing but, so to speak, a a history lesson of Jesus going from here to there, and he had a little problem in between, but what was the big deal? Well, if you look at this text a little bit closer, you're going to see three sets of people that were determined. In some cases, with a 100% difference in what they were determined to do. And so the question for you is, which one of those people am I more like? And you may flippantly say, well, that's a, that's a gimme, is it? 
To understand this text, I think I need to share a little geography with you. Now, before your eyes become glazed and say, oh, my. The land of Israel is very narrow. Its western boundary is the Mediterranean Sea, and its natural boundary on the east is the Jordan River. Give or take, it's only about 50 or 60 miles wide. So if you drove from here, let's say, to Brewer Stadium, I think that's about 60 miles, 50 miles, it would have covered the entire width of the land of Israel. Now Israel, in Jesus' day at least, was divided into what we would call three counties. Up north, you had the county of Galilee. Those people were called Galileans. Nazareth is up there. Capernaum was up there. Obviously, the Sea of Galilee. Down below was Judea. People were called Judeans. And that's where Jerusalem and Bethlehem were. But right in the middle, the middle county, to use words familiar with us, was Samaria. Now the the Samaritans and the Jews, I don't know what word to use charitably, but they had a strong distaste for each other to the point of hatred and animosity. And that's what makes the parable that you're so familiar with, the story of the Good Samaritan. He helped out a Jew, which was you know, almost unheard of. And the big thing that separated these people was, where do you worship? The Samaritans said, you have to worship God on Mount Gerizim. And God had said, here, I'm going to have this place be the place of my honor. That was Jerusalem. Okay? Gerizim, Jerusalem. Our text says that Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is up here, Capernaum. And he's going down south to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and this journey he's going through Samaria, a direct line. This is what we read. He sent messengers ahead of him. They went and entered a Samaritan village to make preparations for him. Can you imagine, to put it in today's context, you make a phone call You're going on a trip and you make a phone call ahead to make sure you have reservations for a room to spend the night. Now, they didn't have motels, hotels in Jesus' day. More often than not, people would invite a stranger into their home for the night, feed them. So Jesus sent some of his disciples into Samaria 
to one of the villages to make preparations for Jesus and the people that were coming with him. Okay, you've got that, follow that? But the people of Samaria did not welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When they saw what Jesus wanted to do, no way, no way were they going to let this Jesus into their city. They wouldn't allow his shadow to cross a door sill in that little village. No way the door, so to speak, was slammed shut. These people of Samaria were determined, were they not? They were determined to resist anything Jesus had to offer. And think what they missed out. We know our Jesus, how often didn't he perform miracles, heal, and certainly teach. And these people said, no, no way. Stop a minute. Such an experience happened in your life? I guess I'd like to say I hope so. Have you tried to invite someone to church? Or better yet, say, I'll go with you to our pastor's adult instruction class. He's starting a new class, and the people, you could sense it in their face. No way. I want nothing to do with that church and God's stuff and religion. No way. And isn't that one of the reasons some of us are a bit timid about inviting someone to church or to sit down and have a meaningful conversation about Jesus? That you're fearful that no way, no way. I invited, or I should say, I went to a home where I knew the people didn't go to church. And I went simply for the purpose of saying, would you like to bring your children to vacation Bible school? I'll even offer to drive them if you'd like. Vacation Bible school. They had a couple kids, you know, First grade, fifth grade. No. Now they were polite. It was firm. No way are my kids going to be taught anything about that Jesus. And so I, I pursued a little further and found out that this woman's mother years ago, had had a bad experience 
with her priest. It's a Roman Catholic situation and it's immaterial. But the priest had supposedly said something to her mother, done something to her mother that she thought was totally wrong and totally inappropriate. She wanted nothing, zilch, nada, to do with church, religion, God, anything. And you know, you can't, in some respects, be too surprised. Did Pastor Yankee ever tell you the short, it's just a couple sentences long, about the bug? Now, there was a bug once that lived in a vinegar barrel its entire life. And the bug thought it was the sweetest place on earth. Many unbelievers in their own little world think it's the sweetest place on earth because they know no better. They have no idea of the peace which comes from knowing your sins are buried in the depth of the sea. They have no concept of knowing that there's more to life than standing in the utility room and watching the clothes dryer spin another pair of towels, another set of towels. There's more to life than making another sale. They don't know that. And they're like the bug in the vinegar barrel, and maybe they have viewed some Christian's life who haven't let their light shine, who have been a negative influence on Christ, and they said, no. Let's move on. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? James and John, two of our Lord's closest disciples, have the blood flow to their head and they say, Lord, let's get even. Do you want us to send down fire from heaven and destroy those people that wouldn't let you into their own city? Determined? But what's the difference, people? We could talk, and I saw in the body language of some of you are taking a step back, sitting back in the view, because we were, in a sense, talking about people out there. Now we're talking about people in here. Now we're talking about the church and church members and followers of Jesus. And they were determined to destroy and to get even the attitude, I'm going to show you. Why 
When I started my ministry, the president of the congregation, middle-aged man, would do any and everything within his ability for his church. I have no idea how many hours of time that man put in to serve his church. I mean endless hours. But with it was a little caveat. He thought everything should be done his way in the church. And when the congregation once voted to do something that he didn't agree with, it's like James and John, shall I destroy them? The man never set foot in the church again. He was going to show them his own daughter that married in the church. And he wouldn't attend his own daughter's wedding because he was going to show them. She would send down fire and consume them. Why are we bringing this up, people? Could that person be you next month? Something happened in prison Savior that you didn't like. Pastor said something. Someone did something, and you're going to get even. You're going to show them. The church supper. Or going to be a potluck church supper. And one of the ladies is, try to use a polite word, miffed. Because someone, she at least said, criticized her because she cut the cake pieces too big or too small. I forgot to put a spoon in the hot dish when she laid it down on the table. You smile. I mean, it's trivia. How, who cares how big the piece of pie or the cake is, or did you serve the wrong pickle as a dill pickle or sweet pickles? But people are determined they're going to get even. I'm not going to attend that meeting. I'm not going to do anything for the church. I'm going to show them. Should we send down fire, Lord? church member who sat in church like you're sitting and he heard someone of the church, I don't know if it was the pastor or the congregational president or whoever, get up at the lectern after the service and encourage people to increase their weekly giving for whatever, whatever. So he and his wife did that. They went home and they increased their giving. I hope it was done out of love for Jesus. I don't know. I hope so. I assume so. 
But then it wasn't much later when the thing was repeated. The pastor, congregational president went, got up, and again asked the people they could increase their offering because such and such had happened. Or, yeah, I don't know the circumstances. But he took that so negatively that he said, we cut our offering back to what it was before. We're going to show them. We're going to get even. I didn't like that. People, James and John, two of our Lord's disciples, the ones closest to him, had this negative determination, and they were, quote, members of the church. Your church has a history of 25 years. I'm only guessing, because I do not know. But I'm going to guess that Frida sat over there, and George sat over there, and something happened, you did something, pastor did something, and they aren't sitting there anymore. Because they're going to get even. They're determined to show you. I don't have to take that. Jesus, we don't have to be insulted by these Samaritans that won't even let you into the village. What an insult. You smiled when I talk about the piece of pie or cake, whatever it was. Is that why Frida isn't sitting here? She was miffed. I think she got the story. Thank goodness there's someone else in this story that was determined. Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He rebuked James and John. He turned, rebuked them. You don't know what kind of spirit is influencing you. That negativity. No way, Lord. I'm going to get even. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. There's a determined person. To go down south here to Jerusalem. Determined even though his disciples would forsake him. That happened to you? Oh, yeah. He was determined, in spite of getting whipped, he'd take it. Did you catch when I read today's epistle lesson about the Apostle Paul saying, I was scourged 40 times, save one? You know what that meant? And then scourging was so terrible. It had a little bitty handle-like thing with three throngs of, 
of leather, and on that leather were little sharp pieces of bone or steel. And then they would slap that over the person's back when he's bent over like this, and there was pieces of metal would dig into the flesh, and then you rip it out, and you do it again and again and again. And the Romans, these bloodthirsty people, said you can't do it over 40 times. So that's why they whipped the person 39 times, lest they would miscount. Because people would lie there in some cases with their guts hanging out, literally. After being scourged, you could look down and see a person's intestine. Jesus was determined to do that for you. Jesus was determined be forsaken. But he may have recited Psalm 88 to himself, my only friend is darkness. He was willing to go to the cross or serve for criminals, pay for your sin. He was willing to die for you. That your heavenly Father could say to you, your sins are buried in the depth of the sea. Jesus was determined to open the doorway of heaven. He was determined for you who mourn the death of your husband, your wife, or your child. This know that they're dressed in the garment of righteousness. I asked you when I started the sermon, where do you relate regarding being determined? You're not out there. Oh, it's kind of easy to talk about. It's not so easy. When we're in here, most every pastor that I know of, at least, has had some members say something unkind to them, totally undeserved, got a nasty letter. One pastor said, I'm so frustrated, I think I should be a ditch digger, because at least the the ditch remains dug. He needed encouragement. He, as all of us, need to be directed to Jesus, who is determined, as our text says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. Okay? Amen.